Parenting week two. A lot of moments as a parent that it's clear that I have my work cut out for me. All parents feel that way. There are things my kids do and my kids say that often leave me scratching my head. There are moments when I think these kids are cute, but my goodness, they're wicked. You know what I'm talking about if you're a parent. If you're not, you're like, oh, that's so mean. No, it's not mean. It's true. Like my daughter, Olivia, she's pretty fiery. She's two years old and needs Jesus. And uh, she's pretty unstable emotionally because like one, it happened this morning actually, like one minute she's really nice and then the next minute it seems like she needs an anger management seminar. Like it's just odd. So like a couple weeks ago, uh, Olivia came upstairs, it was 6.20 a.m. because that's the time a lot of us love to wake up. And uh, she came into our room and I kind of warmly greeted her. I said, good morning, Olivia Joy. And she looked at me with as much intensity as she could muster at 6.20 a.m. And she glared at me and she said, it's not Olivia, it's Snuggle Bunny. And I'm like, oh, sorry, Snuggle Bunny. (laughs) Everyone would love to snuggle with her. Um, That's just really mean. Another time uh, this past, yeah, this happened last week. I mean, I could not believe this happened. So we're trying to teach my son Joseph um, to do things for himself. He's seven. And so he, Cheryl had asked him, she just said kind of casually, hey, Joseph, could you get your water bottle? Because he brings a water bottle to school. Could you fill it up and put it in your backpack? And he just says to her, mom, can you do that for me? And I looked at Joseph and I overheard this conversation and I had one of these dad moments. I said, Joseph, when I was your age, actually when I was younger than you, I was making my own lunch and I was making my sister's lunches. And his response was this, straight faced, no joke, not exaggerated. Dad, that was in the old times. <laughs> like in the 90s. <laughs> I've been called a lot of things, but never from the old times. The reality is that their need for Jesus comes out in a lot of different ways. They can be mean to each other, they don't always respect authority, they disobey, they can be deceitful, they're incredibly self-centered, they manipulate others with their emotions like their mom and their dad, they're greedy, and to be honest, they're a lot like adults. It's weird. Yeah, that was, yeah, you got that one. No, thank you. This morning, I want to talk to you about what your kids need most, and honestly, what you need most. One of the prevailing lies people believe in our culture is that children are essentially good. The reason we believe this is because we believe that we are essentially pretty good people. The Bible doesn't paint humanity in such a positive light, though. The Bible doesn't tell us to muster up self-esteem, follow our hearts, and believe in ourselves. In fact, it says things about human beings like Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Romans 3, 10 through 12, Paul says, quoting the Old Testament, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. Paul, come on, man. I mean, how are we supposed to feel good about ourselves when you're telling us we're worthless? There is no one who does good, not even one. Now, I know what you're thinking. Disney didn't read their Bibles. I don't mean to ruin your day, but the reality is the reason that your kids and my kids don't listen to us, respect us, spurn our authority, fight with their siblings, and lie is because they're evil. There's pagans living at your house if you're a parent. It's not because they didn't get their nap. 
Have you anyone ever seen that? Little person acting totally out of control? Oh, they're just really tired. No, they're not. I mean, they might be tired, but that's not the reason. They're hungry. Uh-huh. I'm hungry and tired most of the time. But that doesn't excuse my behavior, does it? This is one of my favorite ones. They're acting out because we're impeding their self-expression. You know why kids act out? Kids act bad because they are bad. Paul Tripp says in his book, Shepherding a Child's Heart, I never had to teach my children to hit one another. I never had to teach them to be jealous, to be unkind, to push to the front of the line, to announce that their lunch was better than their neighbors, to brag about their achievements, and to turn everything into a competition. I mean, have you noticed, for those of you who are like, no, my kid's actually pretty good. No, they're not. Everything you've had to teach them was because they were doing it wrong. Like they don't come, what's their first word? No. It's not yes, mom. It's not yes, dad. Is that what you'd like, dad? I'm going to do that for you. It's no, I don't want to do that. Don't wipe my face. Don't wipe my hands. Don't make me eat that. I mean, the first time they rebel against you is when they spit something back out at you. Like, we get this. Your kids, they're just not that good. Now, listen, I know they're cute. I know you think they're great. I think my kids are great. I'm not saying that we can't think our kids are great. We just can't think they're good. And there's a big difference there. So what do your kids need most? A better education? To be self-actualized? What do they need? To be protected from the big, bad, scary world out there? Here's my big idea today. What your kids need most is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is my groundbreaking parenting principle that I think is so incredibly important for parents. What is the gospel? Some of us know it. Some of us are familiar with it. Some of us not so much. The gospel means good news because it, it addresses the most serious problem that you and I and our children have. God is holy and he is just and we're not. We have sinned against God in our words and our deeds and our thoughts and our motives. And at the end of my life and at the end of your life and at the end of little Johnny and little Susie's life, you're going to stand before God and be judged. I was reading a parenting book uh, last week, and the author asked the question, what is the purpose of parenting? Like, what's the goal of parenting? And as a Christian parent, he said, the goal of parenting is to prepare your kids for college. Nope. The goal of parenting is to have a right worldview. Nope. The goal of parenting is to make sure your kids stay in youth group and church when they get older. Nope. The goal of parenting is to prepare your kids for the day of judgment. That doesn't feel so good, does it? But as I was thinking about this concept, the goal of parenting is to prepare your kids for the day of judgment. Why? Because that is the moment of ultimate reality for all of us. Judgment will come in your life. We don't like to talk about that. But that's reality. Judgment day is coming. And you and I will be judged either on the basis of my own righteousness and goodness or the righteousness of another. 
And culture would tell you, you're good enough. And God would tell you, you failed, rebelled, and spurned my authority for your whole life, and you are completely unrighteous. And so you need someone else's righteousness. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus lived a life of perfect obedience to his Father, not for his own well-being, but for the good of people. He has done for me what I couldn't possibly do for myself. He offered himself as a perfect sacrifice to satisfy the justice, the wrath, the righteousness of God. Jesus absorbed the penalty for my sin. I was guilty. I am guilty. You are guilty. Your kids are guilty. They're sinners by nature and by choice. And so what does God demand as a, as a result of the fact that they've broken relationship with him? What is the payment that God demands for sin? Death. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. And so when we look at the cross, we see Jesus Christ paying for sin, paying my penalty for sin. And Jesus did not only pay the price for my sin, he also decisively conquered death. His resurrection forever defeated death so that all those who would turn to Jesus Christ could be forgiven, receive Jesus' righteousness, be reborn, get a new heart, and look forward to life forever with God. And I strongly believe that this is what should be foundational to our parenting, the gospel. And you're like, okay, that sounds good. And maybe some of you are like, I need to process that. And some of you are like, well, what does that actually mean? What does that actually look like? How can you bring this concept of what your kids need most is the gospel and bring it down to the ground, please, Joe? So here are two things I'm going to share with us this morning. How does the gospel help parents? And honestly, you, you'll pick this up really quick. This is not just a message for parents. This is a, question, this is a message for people. Because as we talk about our children, we'll see ourselves. So how does the gospel help parents? The first is this. The gospel helps us to focus on their heart, not behavior. The gospel helps us to focus on their heart, not behavior. As we have stated, your child's primary problem is their sinful heart. Too many parents, especially Christian parents, measure their parenting. See if this is you. Too many parents measure their parenting, the success of it or lack thereof, based on how well they're modifying their children's behavior. The gospel tells us that God is not interested, catch this, God is not interested in changing us from the outside in, but rather from the inside out. If our primary focus in parenting is to raise well-behaved children, then you need to know there's a lot of well-behaved people in hell. Jesus was crystal clear that our primary problem is inside of us, not outside of us. How do I know this? Over 40 times in the Gospels, Jesus, Jesus addressed the condition of the heart. His harshest words, if you read through the story of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when Jesus was really fired up, when Jesus was really upset, his harshest, most stinging rebukes came for people who were very well behaved and yet their hearts were deeply flawed. Jesus said this to the Pharisees. The Pharisees were a group of people in Israel who were excellent at following the law. In my children's Bible, they describe them as super religious holy people. 
Like they were the awesome people at following God's law and God's rule. They actually made more rules so they wouldn't break God's law. And these Pharisees, everyone thought, now that's what it looks like to honor God. And Jesus says this to them in Matthew 23, verses 25 through 26, to the Pharisees, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, not a good start. You are like whitewashed tombs, I don't want to be called that, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. What's Jesus saying to the Pharisees? You are very good-looking kids, and inside you're dead and full of evil. On another occasion, Jesus was talking with his disciples as they were debriefing about the showdown that Jesus had with with the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were kind of on Jesus. They were saying, Jesus, why don't your disciples wash their hands, which is this religious ceremony, before they eat? And Jesus kind of went after the disciples and said, hey, you know the commandment, honor your father and mother. But here's the reality. You are really good at tithing out of your spice rack. You tithe your cumin and your dill, and oh, we're so impressed by that. But you know what you don't do? You don't take care of your parents in the name of God. It's really strange. Like Jesus said, you might look really holy on the outside, but inside it's not working real well. And as Jesus is debriefing with his disciples about the core issue in Matthew 15, verses 17 through 19, Jesus says to his disciples, don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? That's kind of nasty, but that's really, we know that process, right? But the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart, and these make a man unclean. What's Jesus saying? Do you know where your real issue is? It's in here. It's not outside of you. Like there's all these, like everyone's really scared about their kids because of the culture we're growing up in, right? Like no one's excited the way the culture's going if you love Jesus. And here's what's strange. You know what Jesus says? It's not what's outside of them. That's the problem. Now I'll just be the first to say I'm not excited about where the culture's going. But it's not what's outside of them that's the primary problem. It's what's inside of them. See, because Jesus says, what makes you unclean is what comes out of you. Sin is internal. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. Why is God interested in the heart of children? Because in the heart of a child and adults, the heart is the starting point of transformation. Don't hear me saying behavior doesn't matter. There is nothing pleasing to God about a child who openly rebels against their parents. Hear Jesus reminding you this morning that your child can look very obedient, go to a Christian school, only listen to Christian music, does not eat too much sugar, listens to Bible stories, is very polite, and yet have a heart that is full of evil. Too often we think that our job is to control our child's environment and protect them from the world. I do believe we should be proactive in monitoring what our kids watch, listen to, eat, where they go, who they hang out with. I think it's a real poor decision for parents to just let their kids have privacy. That's dumb. Your kid doesn't need privacy, they need you. The Bible says in Proverbs to guard the heart because it's the wellspring of life. So don't be a passive parent who just said, oh, they need their privacy, I don't want to look at their cell phone, you know. Little Jesse gets upset when I look. Who cares? 
You're a guardian in their life. Your goal in your house is not to be popular but to protect. And yet at the same time, you can do a great job protecting them. But it doesn't mean you've gotten to their hearts. You can spend your life trying to protect your child from the evil in the world instead of pointing them to Christ who alone can conquer the evil in their heart. Let me say that again. That was good. Like that was like just let this sink in. You can spend your life trying to protect your child from the evil in the world instead of pointing them to Christ who alone can conquer the evil in their heart. Amen. And that's just like that's just like how what we need to know about ourselves. It's not just about our kids. Like it's like I'll, I'll put it in real stark terms. We're not going to lose America because of what happens in the White House. We're going to lose America because we've lost focus on our own hearts. See, because we can get really angry about what's happening in the world and at the same time get worse and worse and worse and get more upset and more unloving. And what comes out of our mouth is no longer refreshment and salt and light. It's vitriol and anger because our hearts are not really for our neighbors, they're for power. I know I've lost some of you on that. Think about it, pray it through. Paul Tripp says this, if my heart is the source of my sin problem, then lasting change must always travel through the pathway of my heart. It is not enough to alter my behavior or to change my circumstances. Christ transforms people by radically changing their hearts. If the heart doesn't change, the person's words and behaviors may change temporarily because of an external pressure or incentive, the pain of discipline. But when the pressure or incentive is removed, the changes will disappear. Your kids need a new heart. And here's what's really scary. You can't give them that. You can't give them that, but you can introduce them to the heart surgeon. And your kids don't need like a little repair, they need a heart transplant. And the goal of parenting is to help your children see their need for Christ. It's actually not so that they'll just follow your rules. I think that behavior is incredibly important in the life of a child, but we have to get under the behavior to the heart. I'll share with you an example from my own life, and, and, and let me just be really clear and honest. This is really a lot harder than yelling. See, it's a lot easier to yell at your kids and demand that they obey you, and it's a lot harder to get to their heart because it takes sorrow, not anger. See, because what usually happens when our kids disobey us, we get angry. I get angry. You get angry. Even when other kids don't obey their parents. Like, it makes me upset. And there's something about that that's good. But anger doesn't get to the heart of a child. So, a couple weeks ago, Joseph won 
an award at school. He goes to a Christian school. And you're like, you just told me Christian schools don't make him a Christian. No, it doesn't. Just like you spending an hour in your garage doesn't make you a car. Christianity is an internal thing. Like, we don't put Joseph in a Christian school because we think that, like, that's our plan to make Joseph a Christian. Like, when you read the Bible, do you know how someone becomes a Christian? It's a work of the Holy Spirit. So we can't make it happen. But we can water that seed, and we can nurture that environment. So here's an example. So Joseph came home. He won an award at school for the fruit of the Spirit. He was demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit in kindness, which was awesome. And we celebrated that. And we said, dude, that's so cool that God is working in your life, and he's empowering you to be nice. But then, like, a day later, he's not being really nice to Lucy. And you know what that was a golden opportunity to say? To point to the fridge and say, you know what, that doesn't really mean a lot if you can't do it at home. And then we get to ask questions like, why are you looking down on your sister? Instead of just yelling, be nice, stop doing that. But why? See, going after the heart is about motives and attitude. Why does she annoy you? Why do you feel like she is not worth your time? Do you think Jesus sees Lucy that way? Now, it's not like I ask these questions in rapid fire, but this is getting to the heart of the matter. It's not just like, stop, be nice. It's, hey, what's going on inside that you feel like you can treat your sister this way? Going after the heart requires effort. It's easier to sit on your butt and bark than it is to engage and take time to address motives and attitudes. It takes time to help your children see their sin. It takes an engaged parent to help your children see their need for Jesus to change them. Here's the second thing. How does the gospel help parents? The gospel helps us discipline with purpose. The gospel helps us discipline with purpose. The Bible is not silent about how important it is for parents to discipline their children. Want to talk about going after the heart first? Yes, but it also includes discipline. This is what Proverbs 22:15 says, "Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him." Proverbs 13:24, "Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him." Um, my wife and I, a couple years ago, it was probably a decade ago, we knew this family. You don't know them. They don't come here. They don't live here. They live on the other side of the United States. Good, I can talk about them. Um, they, they had a daughter who did not listen to them at all. And instead, and like this, you know you have those moments where you're like, that kid needs a spanking. And you're like, you spank? Yep, we do that. You're like, I don't know if I can come here. That's all right. Amen. Just pray about it. Um, read the Bible, pray about it, consider it. Okay, good. Um, and this girl, she didn't listen to her parents at all. And instead of actually disciplining, which means to teach, to train, what they would do is, is they would, when she was doing something she wasn't supposed to do, they would try to, quote, unquote, redirect her to something else, as if that's what she needed. Don't punch your brother in the face. Come over here and play with my little pony. Yeah, stop busting the gates of hell wide open. We won't address that. And just, you know, you just, you're not bad. You just need to find something better to do with your time. Please, come over here. I've got a dollhouse for you. Now, all of us know that's ridiculous, right? Like, that's just not wise. Redirecting your kids. That's not discipline. That's avoiding heart issues. And according to Proverbs 13, 24... 
it's pretty hateful. It's actually not loving. Proverbs 19, 18. Discipline your son, for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. Like if you fail to discipline, you're basically setting up your kids for death. Notice that discipline is not a form of retaliation for what children have done wrong. That's important. But rather, discipline is for a child's well-being. We discipline because we love our kids so they don't act foolish and so they don't die. We discipline them to point them to Christ. The, writers of, the writer of Hebrews makes the point that God has a clear purpose when he disciplines us. Hebrews 12, 10 through 11, I think we can learn something as parents through God's method of discipline. It says, our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Effective discipline never feels good for the child or the parent. I just want to caution some of us. If you discipline your kids because they made you uncomfortable or made you get up, you're doing it out of anger. And let me just tell you the difference between anger and sorrow. When you discipline your kids out of anger, you're doing it because they have made you uncomfortable. They've gotten in your way. They've, they've ruined whatever little time you were trying to have. They've distracted you from your chores. They've distracted you from your television program. And now you have to deal with them. And instead of loving them and training them, you're punishing them because they've hurt you. That's what happens when we discipline out of anger. It's retaliation for a wrong they've done to us. Disciplining in sorrow is disciplining with a broken heart because of the wrong they've done to the Lord. See, there's a huge difference there. Anger is about what they did to you. Sorrow is grieving how they've broken God's heart by rejecting their parents' authority. Scott Taransky from the National Center for Biblical Parenting says this, parents sometimes misunderstand discipline's goal. The focus on consequences, they focus on consequences and believe that when they've given the consequence, they're done. Punishment focuses on justice. Discipline concentrates on teaching. Instead of a sentence to be served, discipline is an opportunity for growth. So when you discipline your kids, it's not a time to inflict pain on their life just so that they feel pain. When we discipline our kids, it's a time to teach, re-explain, and reinforce the gospel. So I'll close today just by sharing with you what Cheryl and I do at our house. And let me just give another caveat. We do this imperfectly often and fail regularly, but we're trying and we're committed. First, when one of our kids does something wrong, we send them to their room. We don't send them to their room because their sin separates us from the parent and you did something wrong. You can't be part of the community anymore. That's not the reason. The reason we send our kids to our, 
like I, why I send my kids to their room before I discipline them is because I am an extremely reactive person. If you haven't been able to tell, I can be a bit passionate. So I know that's shocking to you, but the truth is, is I need time to cool down. So I discipline in sorrow, not in anger. Because honestly, I think it's a wicked sin to spank your kids in anger. I really do. I think that's terrible. And there's all these studies out there saying why spanking is wrong and ineffective and how kids grow up to be violent if they're spanked. And I would just like to say that's probably some truth to that because a lot of spanking is done as a form of punishment, not love and discipline. So I would say I am against that kind of spanking. So I send my kids to their room so I have a few minutes to think and pray. And what I've learned to do, because I think that for whatever reason, I just don't, I think I overreact too much. I don't think, I really do. Like, let's be honest, I don't think I do. And so me and Cher, we have to talk about it sometimes. And I'll often say to Sherry, I say, Cher, what do you think about this? And she'll tell me, and she's like way nicer than me. So she's usually going to give me that like really good perspective of grace and kindness and their five which sometimes I'm missing. And you're like, that's weird. I know, but that's just who I am. So we talk about those things together, and she is such a blessing to me, and she helps me with that. So after we kind of know, like, okay, this is kind of what happened, okay, then we try and make sure that when I go into the room that they understand what they did was wrong. I think that's very important that they understand what they did was wrong. They don't need to, like, really emotionally connect with, oh, that was so wrong. But they just need to know, like, yeah, you broke that rule. That means your rules have to be clear. If you have a lot, a lot, a lot of rules as a family, that's not always a good thing. Like, we have three rules at our house. Respect the mom and dad. Obey mom and dad. And be kind to one another. So that's why our kids would face discipline, because they broke one of those three rules. And so in that moment, when we're trying to help them learn that what they did was wrong, I'll be honest, sometimes when I hear them talk about their thought process and their motives and their attitudes, I realize it's not so much rebellion as it was just an honest mistake. That doesn't happen a lot, but sometimes it does. So if I barge in there hot as a bear, that's a weird way to say it. You're going to think about that. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you're just so angry. I don't know if bears are hot or not. But if you just go in there and you're just so fired up and you're ready to punish and not discipline, you may be punishing someone who's, you didn't even know what was going on in their world. But honestly, a lot of times it is just rebellion. And then we enforce a consequence. Whether it's spanking or loss of a privilege, we don't do timeouts. I'll leave it at that. There are times that when we spank our kids, the goal is to break them, not to hurt them, but to break them. And so what we do is we lay them across our knee, we take off, like we do the bare butt thing, and we don't spank our kids like Joseph doesn't get spanked anymore, he's seven. But we do the bare butt thing. Why do we spank our kids on our bare butt? Diapers are really thick and that doesn't hurt that much. You're like, okay. And the reason we do it is we, we, we spank and then we're looking for them to break. And usually it takes one spanking. But sometimes kids have leather butts and a really strong will. And let me just tell you this, it's really important to break your kids. It's important to break their will. And you're like, why? That sounds so terrible. No, it doesn't. The Christian life is about you living with a broken will before God. Not what you want, but what God wants. So when they learn to live life with a broken will, that you really do have to follow mom and dad's rules. Like it really is important that you surrender. I know you're strong-willed, but strong will is not an excuse not to break. 
I've heard people say before, my parents stopped spanking me because I was just, I just, you know, threw a huge temper tantrum. Their loss. Why do we do this? Because we're teaching them to live under one day God's rule. And I'll be really honest. Kids who don't have their wills broken by their parents usually have authority issues when they get older. This is an act of love. And if you're doing it in anger, it's an act of uh, sin. If you're doing it out of sorrow, like if you're feeling awesome about spanking your kids, stop immediately and get on your knees. That's, you have the wrong attitude. That's why prayer and reliance on the Holy Spirit, like asking, God, please help me in this moment right now, is a game changer in parenting. But I'll tell you this one really wild thing. Sometimes we don't do anything. Like sometimes if I can tell my kids there's already contrition there before I get in the room and they're already broken, there's no need for the spanking. There's no need for a consequence. Why? Because they're there. They know that what they did was wrong. They're already broken over their sin. That's the goal. That's the goal. It's not to hurt. It's to teach. And you know what? I'll be honest. I'm a bit of a softy. I know that'll shock you. Like when my kids that don't tell them this. But when they ask for a second chance, I almost always say yes. Why? Why? Like we're here, right? That's why. We serve the God of the second chance. So when they ask... Or when I can tell they need another chance, we give it to them. I mean, I've heard people say things like, if you give them another chance, you're teaching them it's okay to disobey. And I say things like, have you read the Old Testament and how God dealt with Israel? Like, they rarely got it right and God gave them a ton of chances. Well, they still got consequences. I know, we still do that. But sometimes... We dazzle them with the grace of God. And grace does not mean the absence of consequences, but there are times where we just let them know, all right, you know what you did was wrong. I'll just tell you this story because it's funny. Yesterday, Olivia, I told her to do something, and she did exactly the opposite. And I said, Olivia, if you do that again, Daddy's going to have to give you a spanking. And she did it again less than one second later. So we brought her in the room. I brought her in her room. We kind of went through the process. And I said, okay, now Olivia, daddy has to give you a spanking. And she starts spanking her own butt. She does this. She's like, I do it. No, 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 you don't do it. They're really smart and crafty and deceitful. And honestly, when they're at that age between like a little bit after 18 months and like three and a little bit to four, like the spanking thing is super important. It teaches them to associate pain with disobedience. After this is over, we then tell them to apologize to mom and dad or to their brother or sister. And then we pray together. Then we pray together, holding one another, demonstrating the reconciling love of God. That he doesn't throw us away when we've failed. 
Those of us who send our kids to our room and don't engage them relationally because they've done something wrong are saying something about God when we do that. When you mess up, God doesn't want anything to do with you. Please don't do that. When you discard your kids and give them the cold shoulder, what you are teaching them about God is false. So we pray together. And this is where we get to ask God to forgive us because ultimately they have hurt him. And I kind of do the repeat after me prayer thing. We thank Jesus for dying for their sin. We ask for God's help to obey mom and dad. And then we affirm that God has forgiven them. Why do we do that? Because that's the gospel. We've done something wrong ultimately against God. We need Jesus to die in our place to cover that sin. Then we ask for forgiveness. And then we ask for God's help to live a life that pleases God. And then we affirm that God is the God who forgives every time, no matter what. But I think there's something that is really important in this moment. It's usually during this time that I remind my kids as they have tears running down their face and they've just confessed their sin to God, whether they mean it or not, but they've done it. Where dad confesses that he needs Jesus too. I am always quick to tell my kids how much I need Christ in my own life. In the moment that my child is broken, I let them know that dad is broken too. I let them know that dad has failed and rebelled against God and needs his forgiveness. See, because I don't want mom and dad to be the heroes of my house. I want Jesus to be the hope of my family. And I want to model that for them, that Jesus is mom and dad's hope. And Jesus is their hope. See, because if your kids only ever see you being the disciplinarian and never the one in need of grace, you're going to raise self-righteous Pharisees. Jesus is the hope for children and parents. I pray that we're modeling for our kids that we are dependent on Christ whether we're five or 50. We need Christ. How does the gospel help us parent? It helps us point them to Jesus. It causes us to pray that God would open up their hearts to Christ. It causes us to ask the Lord to reveal to our kids their need for him. It causes us to ask God, give them new hearts. How do we close this morning? Three things. Number one, remain in awe of what Jesus has done. How do you have a gospel-saturated home? How do you focus on heart, not behavior? How do you discipline with purpose, with the gospel in mind? You remain in awe of what Jesus has done. Number two, you tend to your own heart. You tend to your own heart. 
does Jesus have your heart or are you still thinking Christianity is about your external obedience? As we sang, I surrender all this morning, does he have your heart? It's far more uncomfortable to live a life marked by grace than it is to live a, mark, a life marked by rules. Tending the garden of your own heart takes work, vulnerability, and honesty with God about your motives and your attitudes. Tend to your heart and let the beauty of the gospel of God capture you. And then finally, just for parents, evaluate your parenting in light of the gospel. Are you parenting your kids with the gospel in mind? Are you pointing them to Jesus? Are you modeling what it means to not only live for Jesus, but demonstrating that you too are in need of Jesus? That's my hope for us this morning, that our kids would hear the gospel 10,000 times from the lips of their parents so they don't have to hear it for the first time in a church someday. You are the front lines of showing your kids their need for Christ. After I say amen this morning, I'm gonna invite our prayer counselors to come forward. Prayer partners, we wanna pray with you. If you wanna know more about a relationship with Jesus, any of the folks up front can share with you what life with Jesus is like. When I say amen, Vinny's gonna play for a few minutes. We'll just let this be a place of prayer. If you gotta go, you're dismissed. Lord, we come to you this morning because we need the gospel. We need what Jesus Christ has done for us. Our faith is in you, Jesus, thank you. We need Christ. And Lord, I pray for those of us who maybe aren't in a season of parenting right now, I pray that we would see our need for Christ each and every day and we would monitor our hearts regularly and we would continually be asking you to come and get to the bottom of our motives and our attitudes and do your work. And Lord, for the parents in the room this morning, I pray what I just prayed and that you would give the wisdom to us to know how to let the gospel shape our parenting. Help us, Lord. Remind us, Holy Spirit, of these truths. We really need help. We all feel that sense of inadequacy. And so we say, Lord, have mercy. Make up the difference between who we are and what our kids need. We trust you, God. In your name I pray.